Mr. Robot Season 2 is still over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps with some post-season coverage of Mr. Robot Season 2. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm here with Antonio Mazzaro, as always. Antonio, how's it going? Josh, it's going great. I can't. Seems like we just talked about this. Seems like we just talked about it. Seems like we're always talking every day about Mr. Robot or something or other. Otherwise, it's not a day that I want to be living. Yes, but we have a good reason to be talking again, don't we? Well, we do because I need some assistance here. I need your help to clarify for me. I've been feeling funny lately, Antonio. I've been feeling a little weird. Oh, really? I, I've been seeing somebody. And not like in like the romantic sense or anything like that, but like I, I feel like I've been seeing somebody who might not be here. Do you feel that Rob Sesternino is here as well right now, or is that just in my head? Mr. Robbot? <laughs> is Mr. Robbot in the building right now? I think it's possible. I can't tell if this is just inside my mind or if this is real. We'll know if he speaks. Yes. Oh, yes. my God. <laughs> all right. I think okay. we're good. So we all heard that? That wasn't just me? Yes. yes. I, I'm here. Okay. All right. I'm here. Very, yes. very good. Very good to have confirmation that Mr. Robert is in the building. Mr. Robert, how you doing? Very good. Very good. Thank you guys for having me here on the spectacular Mr. Robot Post Show recap. The best Mr. Robot podcast there is, other than, of course, the Screen Junkies Mr. Robot podcast. I, I mean, I don't really think of that as a podcast. I think of it more of as a, a live show. Yeah. So, uh, stu- like a like a it's like a an after show. I don't know what you call it. There, there is there is a, a podcast po- a post version. a post show recap, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Although it's not right after the show. It's sure. really a next day recap. Yeah. Well, frankly, I mean, our Mr. Robot podcast isn't right after the show either, and this is actually a post show recap. Yes, technically, technically speaking, there's also a Mo Show's recap reunion. We got the band back together. We got the band back together. We did. This is Mo Show Re- Mo Show's recap stage two. Stage two. Stage <laughs> yes, two. Yes, yes. Is it stage two or phase two? I feel like they switched it. I I there's those posters in the back of the subway that say phase with the audio thing. So that's how I always remember that it's stage. But I think that there have been phases mentioned at certain points. So who knows? Stage two. We're on stage two. I think we're on stage two. I think that it's like uh, you know, it's like the cancer metaphor. Stage two cancer. And cancer's obviously a big part of Mr. Robot with Elliot's backstory and his father. I think that that's what they're playing at. Good point. It's a very good point. I'm a little worried about stage four then. Oh, Bummer. Stage four is going to be bad. And if it's season four, that's going to be real bad. Bummer very indeed. Bad. All right. So we've wanted to have Rob on the podcast here for a long time. Rob, if you guys don't know, has been doing his own Mr. Robot show on Screen Junkies this year. Rob, how was that? How was that for you? Oh, very fun to do a deep dive and really get into the weekly in and out of Mr. Robot that we had watched the first episode together. Or I think Antonio had already seen it. And then uh, you and you and I both watched the first episode around the same time. And then you binged the whole series. Uh, yeah, I like ended day, up. Yeah. Yeah. I watched a few episodes then. And I ended up finishing the season over the course of a binge later on uh, a few months down the road. But then to be in the official like in and out of like the weekly watch of it, it was a very different experience. Totally. I think that that's something Antonio and I talked a lot about, right? Is this uh, this season for many people, certainly for me. Um, Antonio, were you weekly for the first season of the show? I was after a point. Uh, there was a time when I had to catch up. But then I, I did catch up after a point and I waited for the finale uh, to to be aired because of the unfortunate similarities with the shooting so i wasn't i wasn't weekly throughout but i I got weekly while that was still airing i think it was just a a really different experience for many people who found mr robot by word of mouth by people basically saying holy crap this show is insane it's on usa you would have no idea that this was a usa (laughs) show yeah Uh, and a lot of people checking it out and i think a lot of people found mr 
robot on the binge. You would say that's where burn notice is? That's right. Characters not welcome in the studio. <laughs> no characters welcome. So I, I think that the binge watch versus the weekly was a, was a really big change. So you felt that on your end, too. The weekly, Rob, you felt the weekly versus the binge was a really different experience. Really you. different experience. I actually, it's hard for me to say because I, I did enjoy season one a lot more, and I did binge that for the most part. So I can't really divide whether it was that I really liked season one a lot more, or maybe if I would have watched season two on the binge, it would have been a different experience. Yeah. I, so I think we just really wanted to get you on here so Antonio and I could pick your brain about Mr. Robot in general. I mean, this is not going to be the standard three-hour Mr. Robot recap mm-hmm. that Antonio and I have been doing recently, which yeah, has it's been not. very fun. And you guys do an amazing job. You, I mean, you guys have really just uh, gotten picked apart every single thing of, uh, of Mr. Robot. Like, you guys are uh, love Mr. Robot. We're, we're, in, we're in it. Yes. We're, we're like eyeballs deep in Mr. <sighs> Robot. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I, I'm not even head. in the same league of, uh, of like the breadth of knowledge and the depth of knowledge that you guys have about Mr. Robot. Yeah, we're both really into it. It's a shame that we, um, you know, we stop every 15 minutes to make out with each other on the podcast. But other <laughs> than that, it's pretty like straightforward, serious, deep dive analysis is what we've been doing here on Mr. Robot on these podcasts since we launched Robot Road back in April. But I think we want to go a little, I don't know, like a little more scattershot, a little goofier, maybe just getting your hot takes mm-hmm. on Mr. Robot. Antonio, that sounds good to you. That sounds really good. And Rob, you talk about the depth of knowledge, but I'm interested in the width of knowledge. You guys cover probably a lot of different things that we don't talk about, or you've probably had slightly different perspectives than the people that we've been engaging with. Uh, just different audience, different people you're talking to. So I am really excited to hear your takes and some of the key moments from this season. All right, yeah. let's go. Yeah. So in that regard, I think just stemming off of what Antonio said, can you tell us like a little bit more about how you were viewing Mr. Robot, how you were talking about Mr. Robot? What were the things that you were focused focusing on how that show uh, played out, the show that you were hosting, and just the, the stuff from the show that you were really leaning in on. Sure. In terms of how we approached uh, recapping the show, it's a more of a panel show. So there were, it was myself sort of like leading the discussion and sort of like bouncing around to all of the different major storylines. And in, in that way, I would say it was probably a little bit more like uh, just, in, in, we didn't go through it like scene by scene, like you guys th- go through, you know, every part of the episode, sort of just talking through the headlines of, okay, what's going on here with Elliot? Is this person, is this real? Is this not real? What's going on? Okay, that they've discovered this what are we talking about all right let's talk about darlene what's going on there what's she doing is she in trouble and sort of just like bouncing around more surface and, and really just sort of talking about like is this show making sense uh-huh. is this are, are are we going somewhere does this show you know sort of and then talking about sort of like big picture theories as well where we discussed at length a interesting theory from one of the people that works over at screen junkies roth Cornette. yes who, roth Cornette, i know her very yes, well yeah and she had said that she has a theory about how every Thing is taking place in a computer and it's all it's all like everybody is going to be revealed at the end is like zeros and ones wait can we can we pause down on that for yes. a bit? so what what is that you, you can't just drop that what does that mean is this like a matrix yeah. theory i don't subscribe to the theory i'm just talking about something that that we discussed recently that that was a theory that roth has uh and you can you know uh write to her on twitter and she's very happy i think to uh do a deep dive in talking about that uh we talked about some other theories that are in play about in terms of like, well, is the dark army practicing mind control and stuff like that? I really don't subscribe to one theory. And like, I'm sort of, 
I, you know, you got you talk so much about Lost. I know you just uh, recently went to the big Lost concert. How was that? It was great. Yeah, it was great. I cried. I cried. Yeah, I'm not afraid to admit. I um, probably more than once. A little bit. <laughs> you know, and it's funny that we're tying it back to Lost, but I feel like I like I I have lost my my faith a little bit. With the show in the second season, so you're like uh, you're like an end of season two John Locke right now, where like you've been pushing the button for so long and you don't know if you should continue. I'm an end of season two Rob Sesternino <laughs> watching Lost, <laughs> 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 but yeah, the pa- there are parallels. I was going to say get out of my podcast, but technically I'm in your home, so I'll show myself out. <laughs> yes, no, so I I that I am questioning. That have they bit off more than they can chew with Mr. Robot here through season two, where season one was so self-contained, it was wonderful. I really felt like, uh, for me, I thought that it was on this Breaking Bad type trajectory. And I wonder if with now we have so much going on yeah. here in season two with, I mean, really between everything with E Corp and Price and the Dark Army and White Rose and, and the FBI and everything that's happening in Elliot's own head. I just, I don't know if we're going to be able to keep track of, and, and Joanna Wellick and Tyrell and, and, and all of these different things, the Congo. How do we ever? get all of that stuff right. back into one self-contained story. Do you think that we will have scenes in the Congo at some point in the future of Mr. Oh, Robot? certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Oh, no. Amy the gorilla. She's really going to show up. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the gorilla Amy, will be gorilla. here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. No, I think that's good. I think that's good to hear because Antonio, Antonio and I have talked about this a lot over the course of the podcast, but we talked about it a lot in this last one at the start of the podcast when we were recapping the finale which is Antonio and I, as you mentioned, we're really in the tank for Mr. Robot. We mm-hmm. both really like it. We both really loved the finale. I think we're both really happy with season two. And but we haven't gr- ha- we haven't had the voice of dissent represented yeah. on the podcast. And and it's good. It's it's hard because you know in a lot of the reality TV podcasting that we do, I think that 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 approach actually, I think you can podcast a reality show and and then have issues with what's happening on the show. I think that that plays better than in scripted, yeah. where I think it's harder to podcast a scripted. show show when you aren't completely in love with what's happening on the screen and that's why Shugai. you guys that's why Shugai. but that's why you know I bet I think that the the Mr. Robot podcast that you guys have done have really worked but for for me and I came in really loving everything about this show after the first season but I really got off on the wrong foot with the jail stuff here in the second season where I I love the idea I really I really enjoyed the two part premiere of the season but I felt like that the jail stuff really went on for for uh, probably too long. And I don't know necessarily if everything makes sense that happened coming out of that jail stuff. All of the Craig Robinson stuff really feels like as we get towards the end of the season, if that didn't exist, what would have changed? It feels like very much like they were maybe trying to fill whether it was this episode order or at least give Elliot some business to do while he was in jail. It was so self-contained that it feels like when you go back, uh, this vestigial storyline of Craig Robinson was great. And it was the vestigial fun. Craig. Yes, it was fun to have him in the show, but I don't know necessarily if that had anything to do with anything going on other than we have Leon who sort of like bailed him out in, a, and not literally because he was in a jail, but uh, sort of like <laughs> helped him out in that tough spot he was in coming out of that, and we find out that he's going to be a player down the road. I don't know. It, like the jail reveal was cool, but I just I don't know if that if there was seven episodes of story there with that. Yeah, I was talking to somebody yesterday at the Lost concert who was expressing you know que- 
questions about Mr. Robot season two and wasn't a huge fan of the show this season and loves the show overall, but just wasn't really into it this season. And one of the things that he had said was the season felt like maybe two or three episodes too long. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's even the episode order. I think that the, I mean, Antonio, I don't know if you know any different than this, but it feels like the show got bigger in the making of the season. I think so. There was definitely something to that, that it got bigger in the making of the season because you want to be fair to the characters, I think is a big theory that we see emerging from the discussions of how the season was conceived and how it was put together is when you start talking about what would these characters be dealing with and how would this play out. To be fair to that, I think they really did take the time and that does show uh, in that things took longer than I think people wanted them to. We had that long discussion about Dexter. Uh, But I mean, you could look at Suits, you can look at Burn Notice, you can look at other shows on USA that that don't that don't necessarily have the consequences, and that I think that's part of it. The Craig Robinson stuff is interesting because I know Josh, that was a concern you had with the Vera episode, just one episode season with Vera one, yeah. in season one, uh, and here we have multiple multiple episodes of this. We haven't really talked about the value of that or the lack thereof. Rob, I understand what you're articulating. Josh, where do you stand on that? Um, I do, you know, I do think that maybe it was a little long. I do think that maybe, you know, just the season in general, maybe it was an episode or two too long. It's not really something that I had thought about too much until this conversation last night. Um, But for the Craig Robinson character and just the prison storyline in general, I do like this idea of Elliot having to, you know, really internalize this and really have this sort of, um, you know, astral plane battle against Mr. Robot and really go inward and deal with that. And as he's doing that, I think you want to have something externally interesting happening in that storyline as well. So I like that. I like this, you know, Craig Robinson is now sort of an artifact on Mr. Robot as one of these rogues that was like it was a story arc. If there was, you know, I, I think season two probably breaks down into into two story arcs where Elliot is in prison and he's dealing with his war against Mr. Robot that's bubbling under the surface. And that's also something that's being engaged with in real time. But he also has this external threat that he has to deal with 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 Craig Robinson's character and finding out about, you know, basically this uh, this Silk Road thing that he's running and how is he going right. to assess that and I think that that kind of puts him back into the game. I think it gives him some skin back in the game, and I like that in retrospect. And I think that that worked for me a lot better than Fernando Vera back in season one because that was so jarring at that time. Now going through the Craig Robinson stuff, I wonder maybe I'll have more appreciation for Fernando Vera on a season one rewatch. But I still like it. I, I think that it added some flavor to the season. I really liked that character. I thought Ray was a really good character this season. Uh, yeah, I think the big benefit is that when Elliot is taken out of the game, Darlene had to step forward, and we saw a lot more development with that character vis-a-vis her taking charge of F Society, the problems that she was having as a result of that, the decisions she was making. And I do think we fleshed a lot more of the, the other characters who were down there in the trenches dealing with the day-to-day out. I mean, they had to use Angela with the femme to sell hack. There are a lot of people that were involved as a result of Elliot not really being out there and being able to marshal things and, and being able to lead the troops It put Darlene in center stage. So I do think there is the, the secondary benefit of that for sure. As far as the ongoing consequences of Craig Robinson being on the show, uh, they're less likely. I think Vera's more likely to have consequences than the incidents with, uh, with Craig Robinson. 
Do you think that we'll see Fernando Vera on the show again, Rob? I don't. I you don't. Think you that, think that's it? You think he kills Shayla? He says, I'm out there in the wilderness. Adios. I'm done. And we have so many other things to be dealing with that to bring back uh, Vera from season one. And actually, I didn't love that in the first go round. But in hindsight, I did like that it was sort of like a, a bit of a bottle episode in terms of like just dealing yeah. with most. Of, I mean, he's, he, he appears for the first couple of episodes, but then he has sort of like his own thing. And at least that's an exciting episode of TV where it's sort of like... Like you could sort of like have that as a standalone episode, and I think that works. Whereas the you know Craig Robinson stuff goes on for uh, for quite some time, and also that also with the jail stuff, and not to pick on the Craig Robinson thing, uh, everything with the Bible study group that I, I just don't know. Other than bringing in the theme of spirituality, that we have so much else to deal with in terms of, and, and maybe I'm just way too focused on plot, and I think that you guys really are looking more at scope and theme in terms of it so in terms of what i was looking for like maybe i was under the wrong impression of what this show ultimately was going to be because like i mentioned with breaking bad you know i love breaking bad and that is such a plot driven show and antonio and i of course a podcast about better call saul that you know maybe that's more of the staple of a vince gilligan show of that there's sort of like almost like a like a Breaking Bad, like a a chemical formula, there's very little in the equation that doesn't get resolved. Whereas I like the neatness of that. This is not that show. Yeah, no, totally. I'm curious, when when did you figure out or when did you start hearing about the prison theory? And when did and were you were you applying that to those early episodes and watching it from that framework? Yeah, so. I very much was into going to Reddit after all of these episodes, and I do think that I probably would have enjoyed all of that that whole reveal if it had not been pointed out to me on Reddit. And I think that's what's really tough to do on these shows. Whereas even like you know seven or eight years ago, in a show like Breaking Bad, where you could have like a big reveal that's coming down the road, everybody on the internet who was watching the show wasn't already connected in this really very easily accessible community like the subreddits of these different shows like Antonio and I talked about this in Better Call Saul where the letter you were able to descramble the letters to be able to tip off a very big plot point at the end of season two and and I think Vince Gilligan and the creators of that show said like yeah we didn't think people were going to be able to figure it out where I don't know if Sam Esmail really thought that people were going to be able to after the first episode deduce what was going on and it was going to be so widespread this idea that and maybe Maybe and maybe he did. I know he said things about like you know I wanted people to figure out in the first season that Christian Slater actually was a was not there right. the whole time. That being said, I, I did feel like for me it was like okay, well this is probably go, this is probably all all in his head. But it just went on for so long that I and, and the Craig Robinson thing to me as like made no sense in terms of like well what is, like and people said no well what if he's the warden? I'm like I, I don't get I don't see how that could possibly be uh, be actually. Happy. Happening. It's Crooked Warden. Crooked Warden. And I was like, what is it? Like Shawshank? Where he's like, uh, he's like doing this thing on the Obtuse. side. Obtuse. <laughs> right. I did feel like that having things, I don't want to say spoiled, but having theories be so prominent, maybe that did take away some of the, like, if I would have had like an O. I can't believe that just happened moment with the show, maybe my impression of it would be different. Yeah. 
we we talk a lot about Lost here on post show recaps. Do you, Rob? Do you think that Lost? Well, you're joking about it earlier, but do you really think for the fans of that show that it has given people shell shock when it comes to theorizing and everybody's got these pocket theories and maybe they're disappointed when they don't play out? Do you feel like Lost has really done damage to TV viewers in general when it comes to this sort of thing? Oh my god, I'm going to put my earmuffs on. I'm out of the conversation. I can't speak to TV viewers, but I can speak for myself where I do feel like that there is some fatigue that I have where as Lost was airing, there were all of these different theories and and it really did help to popularize podcasting that there's so many different podcasts that popped up and people turning to TV recaps and podcasts at the point that Lost was on TV where there would be a book on a table in Lost and and, and people would go on for, you know, uh, days and, and, and weeks and podcasts and talk about how like, oh, that book, there's a theme in that book and there's a character in that book and they would do a lot of like naming a, a character on Lost, a character from some famous book and it meant that was going to mean something, that was going to pay off something and Mr. Robot, there is a lot of that and Antonio, you do such a great job of really uncovering you know, uh, what what this potentially could mean but I do have concerns as a viewer, are we chasing our tails to some degree with, and I, I don't want to say it's just Mr. Robot when we get into doing this stuff, but I think that probably 99 times out of 100 that there there actually is no payoff, it's just something oh, that's interesting to, to notice that, and it's really more of setting a feel for the show than ultimately anything that's going to pay off plot-wise. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. I think that, um, but I think more often than not, that stuff is alluding to theme. And I think that there's there are things that you can glean from some sort of if there's a book on a table or if there's something you know if you're tracking the red wheelbarrow poem or whatever. Maybe that's going to tip off not a plot point that's coming up down the down the line, but something that you can you can sort of read into sort of thematically what they're thinking about. Um, maybe projecting some sort of turns with a character and what they're thinking. So I like it, and I think that there's also just in terms of like. The process of reading that stuff, if you're not taking it remarkably seriously, I think it can be really enjoyable. I mean, I think that's why people uh, not only go on Reddit, but probably listen to podcasts that are recapping Mm -hmm. a show is because they want to engage in that stuff. Yeah, it's funny because on Reddit, in in a lot of the uh, the postseason or post finale threads, there is this dichotomy or this debate between people who wanted the building to blow up on, on screen at the end of season two, and people who are like, if the building blows up on screen at season two, like where are we going next? And this show's only going to last three or four seasons. If you wanted the building to blow up in this episode and you're disappointed it did, it didn't. Maybe this isn't the show for you. And I just think that some of this is a byproduct of. People people investing a lot and this is a show where as you're pointing out rob sometimes the twists are hidden in plain sight like with mr robot sometimes the prison stuff you can key in on pretty quickly and so you do feel rewarded or you feel like oh i should engage with this show in that way because it pays off and then when it doesn't you get frustrated because you feel like the rug got pulled out from under you or your expectations weren't met so i feel like mr robot is doing a lot of things uniquely on television or differently but i feel like in many ways the fandom is at the epicenter of this struggle uh, with TV shows that that sometimes go on that do have these larger stories or theories that can play out. And I think that's fascinating because I do think those things usually are going to play much better on a binge. Obviously, if you're disappointed the building didn't blow up at the end of season two of Mr. Robot and all of Mr. Robot is on Amazon Prime for you to watch, you just go to the next episode Mm -hmm. and wait for that building to blow up uh, and you you, you you binge through it. Week to week, though, you are going to get let down if you expect expected something because you felt you were in tune with the show and it did
didn't happen, that almost feels like ah, th- I don't get this show. I, it's not what I thought it was. I feel let down, and that's that's unfortunate because I think it will play differently on a binge. For the record, though, the, the fact that the building didn't blow up that I, I didn't really that's not you. That I wasn't that. really a problem for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, yeah. What were your thank God? What, what's your take on the finale? I, I did feel like that the finale didn't really have a, any major revelations either in part one or part two. I mean, a, a big frustration for me this season was I love Tyrell Wellick. Yes. I, I think that he is a, a fascinating character on the show. I think that he was one of the reasons that, that season one was so great. And I felt like they took way too long to get him back in the mix of things. It was almost like that the whole mystery of season two was where's Tyrell Wellick? What happened to Tyrell Wellick? And they set that up in the premiere episode where you saw Elliot with the gun and you know and you know Mr. Robot made him think he killed Tyro Wellick and that isn't actually what happened and then we don't see until you know part 1 of the finale where we end up seeing that Tyro Wellick is actually alive and well I, I would have looked alive and Wellick even did so you, did you think that he was a uh, that he was actually alive or did you think that he was in Elliot's head Well I did think that he was in Elliot's head after he first uh, was appearing on the show because I said well why is he in the why is the world's most wanted man in this very dapper like three-piece suit like uh, right. does not seem like he is on the run at all he seems like almost a like if you were gonna have some manifestation of him this is what he would look like but apparently he's just able to you know shower and dress to the nines uh, at, at any point like uh, you know you would think that maybe he would even go business casual <laughs> as he was but, but maybe you know like white Hawaiian shirt yeah if he's working with the dark army maybe they have a dress code <laughs> <laughs> should be wearing a mask yeah you would think so so i that, that was the only thing that i felt like well that's really weird how he's dressed it seems like he's very formal yeah no he well he wanted to impress elliot you know he hadn't seen elliot in a while he wanted to look good he wanted to look like his old self and even at the point where they got kicked out of the taxi cab at the end of last week's episode tyro wellick isn't like uh like oh snap uh boy i'm the world's most wanted man and we're out in broad daylight we better get out of here right no he's like boy well well, now we got to take another cab (laughs) now we're stuck here in the middle of nowhere thanks a lot elliot yeah it's true the show would be a lot better if those two weren't making out every 15 minutes (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly i completely agree uh so so a little too long to get back into tyrell this season for you because he's so great and i think such an interesting character and i felt like we took way too long to uh get back into where he was and then convincing us that he was dead and, and that he wasn't so uh that was a frustration for me and then with Joanna, I just was always just very frustrated as what was going on in her. I felt like that they set up that she is like, okay, she's like this new like Kim Kardashian, like famous person in the first episode. Right. But then I felt like that that was very inconsistent, that her notoriety in terms of being this very famous person and why she was never really if the wife of Tyra Wellick, like you would think like if so if I, I don't know, like Bernie Madoff's wife like was uh, you would think that. There, we would have seen like uh, DDP talking with her more and, and stuff like that. It right. just seemed very odd that she's able to sort of like move about freely. And there's very little. She's supposed to be like this very famous person, but also as she's does and not only see, occasionally getting like doused in pig's blood, like not happening often enough for your liking. Well, I don't need to see her doused in pig's blood right. more, but I just felt like that. That I, I was having a hard time following the through line of sort of like looking at this in terms of what would this world be like, and I, I just really never quite got that. Even this plan that they're ultimately going through, where she's dating the bartender guy. And that she's going to have him say that Scott Knowles 
actually was the person that killed his wife. Like, if she's under, like, paparazzi scrutiny, like, nobody's going to say that she's actually been dating this guy for months and months and that and actually that that's what's going on and that he's the one person that's going to exonerate uh, Tyrell Wellick. And really, even if they did, even if the judge said, you know what, get, get this case out of my court. Tyrell Wellick did not kill anyone that way. I mean, we have Barack Obama talking about how Tyrell Wellick yeah. is still the most wanted man in the world. So I feel like that the murder charge yeah. is really small potatoes for Tyrell Wellick. 100% agreed with that. That's I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast this week, that of all the storylines this season, that I probably have the most questions about the worthwhileness of um, of the Joanna story, and and where did that ultimately? And leave she's us? great, and she I, I loved her in season one, and she's electric every time she's on the screen. But I do come away with like, wait, what? So what happened with this story? This yeah, why Scott Knowles was just being like a, a douche the whole time? Like, okay, well. It was more interesting to me when Tyra Wellick was sending her things. And it's like the Tyra Wellick in season one was like, she was like, I'll kick you out of this family. He's like, no, no, you can't. You can't. And so then, it wasn't worth it to you to get to super red wine Scott Knowles? No. Uh. No. I liked it when he burned the money. <laughs> that, that was good. But everything else that Scott Knowles this season didn't really do it for me. Yeah. I think that makes. I mean, you're making a lot of sense to me. Uh, my take, my take on it has been, I definitely need to see and understand more to feel the value one way or the other. That in in it, only in the the context of season two, I agree with Josh in that it seemed a little more thin. That the the arc wasn't totally clear. But I think there's a lot more going on there. I still think she might be tied into those three days that we don't know about, or that there may be some larger story with Joanna. That with, when we get the information, this fill in would make a lot of sense. Because uh, as we've as we've said, and as you were saying, Rob, the fact that Tyrell would not be guilty of murdering Scott Knowles doesn't matter at all. Like that, so it matters very little. Maybe it matters to the pension, but he's still the most wanted man in America. He's still at the center of the diagram. So that a lot of that doesn't make sense. I think we'll have to find out more about that. I'm curious though, Rob. How do you feel about – you said you love Tyrell Wellick, great character. I totally agree with you on that. But I think the dynamic with Tyrell has changed. He's kind of a weeping mess by the end of this season. He's in love with Elliot, who was one, he was once the antagonist, but now he's in a different relationship or role with Elliot. Are you, are, are you looking forward to seeing more of Tyrell in this role in season three? Sure, I, I certainly am looking forward to seeing more of Tyrell. Just more period, pride. yeah. Yeah, I like all of these like uh, really eccentric characters on the show, and I, I know they might not be the cup of tea for everybody, but I'd rather get involved with sort of like these, uh, even to some degree. Uh, cartoonish at time villains in this world. I think that stuff is very interesting. The The place where I really uh, feel like we spend too much time is Angela. And I know, uh, Josh, I know you're, you're a big Angela fan, but Angela, to me, I think was really, we spent too much time with her this season. And I do not understand her motivation for a lot of the things that she was doing this season. Yeah, I think big big Angela fan is probably, big Ange. Is probably pushing it. Big Ange fan. Uh, no, I think that Angela's story is fascinating, and I'm mystified by it, and I'm really curious to see where it goes is it the number one storyline on the board for me definitely not could it use some more clarity i think that would be helpful Mm -hmm. um but i mean it's you know this this show is going to go on for like three or four more seasons if they're you know if they get what they want so they've got some time to play that long game but there was a lot with angela this season especially the probably the biggest problems for me with this season started to emerge in the first half of the finale uh and i and i talked about this a lot with you antonio about 
once again, going back to Lost, sort of the lostiness of that whole white rose test that she puts Angela through. And that really left me scratching my head and wondering what it was that I had just seen and whether or not I was really enjoying that, if that was something that was really worth going through or if that was just, you know, confusing for confusion's sake. Um, so that that was that was a little bit problematic for me. Um, but but I, I think that speaks to sort of the, the wider point that that I'm curious to get your take on, Rob, which is season one of Mr. Robot is so Elliot driven. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is the first season. I mean, it's only the second season, but season two has an episode that Elliot is completely absent from. And, Which I thought was a good episode. And even, I, th- I think it was a great episode, but I think even yeah. beyond that, like, there were a lot of episodes this season where Elliot was, you know, it was light on Elliot. Not even just that he was in prison for a while, so he's away from the F Society, E Corp, Dark Army storyline. He's dealing with his own thing. But also when he gets back into the mix, there's a lot of emphasis on you know, like Mobley or Trenton or some of these other characters that maybe weren't huge characters in the first season. What do you think about Mr. Robot opening up that world? Have they opened the world up too big for your liking? I don't think it's necessarily that they've opened up the world too much. I just don't know necessarily if we if the momentum has always been moving in the right direction. Where I feel like a lot of times with those other secondary characters that you mentioned, I didn't mind what was going on with them because at least we knew... Be nice when you talk about Mobley because you're talking about Antonio and my son. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I, I never had an issue with, with Mobley and I, I liked the stuff that they were going through because because you knew it was real, and you knew that the stakes were real. With unless those it's in a computer, unless it's a, unless everything is all taking place in a computer. Whereas I feel like that with Elliot, that a lot of this is like, okay, well, is this happening? Is this? Is he in jail? Is he not in jail? Uh, is he awake? Is he dreaming? Is this person that he's talking to real? And I feel like that we almost have to like uh, like second and 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 triple check the reality of what's actually happening to Elliot so much that at times I felt like that there were less stakes in dealing with what was going on with Elliot because of different things of like, oh no, this is, he's actually in some 90s TV show right now or or he could be lucid dreaming and maybe he's going to wake up. Maybe this isn't happening. Maybe the person he's talking to is actually just another person like a Mr. Robot. So it, at, at times it's it's hard to really know what's real so with a lot of these other secondary characters then i felt like angela aside i really could not care less about angela's career (laughs) and i really don't know if i care about washington township and anything going on there either okay so but in terms of like these other characters where hey the dark army is coming we need to we need to get out of here we need to like uh get you know change our identity or you know uh make a run for it or or what is darlene doing should we even be in f society we made a mistake should we undo this i'm 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 on board board with that stuff okay cool um well what's interesting then is and i i think this probably echoes what a lot of people are thinking is um you know maybe it's not the question of there's too many characters on the show and i don't want to deal with mobley i don't want to deal with darlene i don't want to see ddp right now maybe more problematically for people who aren't super wild about season two and as the show is moving forward into season three is there some question about the guy at the center of the show, the man in the middle, not Tyrell, but Elliot? Mm-hmm. Like, was this, does the, did this season break Elliot for you or push him to a breaking point for you? No, it didn't push it to a breaking point for me, but I'd like to see him sort of be a little bit more active in terms of where in season one, we had the reveal of, oh, Elliot was behind this this whole time. In season two, we had that sort of again where it's like, oh, wait, what do you mean I started stage two? 
I would like to get to the point where Elliot is actually in the driver's seat of pulling off a plan he actually wants to pull off, as opposed to that Elliot has set up these things that unbeknownst to him, and then he's always trying to figure out what he actually did set up, and nobody ever quite tells him, where it's like, what do you mean you don't know? You, you, were the, you set this all up. Like, okay, well, if I set this all up, why, why don't you just tell me what my plan is? So you want him to come out of the dark a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Like, I'd like to see Elliot be, again, sort of like driving the narrative of what are we going to do? Who am I working with? That he's just so confused all the time in terms of what he's actually doing. It would be nice to, and I think refreshing to see him actually, okay, this is what our plan is and this is what we're trying to pull off. Where he's, the protagonist of the show really has no idea what's going on at times. And we, his imaginary friend, also have no idea what's going on because a sometimes he's not telling us the truth about what's going on and b like our narrator also is an unreliable narrator who doesn't know what's going on so it's like a self-admitted unreliable right so how are we supposed to you know be invested in a lot of these stakes when we have no idea when we're on solid footing or not yeah it makes a lot of, I mean, that, that is tough. And it makes a lot of people think, I think this season about David Lynch, there's a lot of these David Lynch vibes. I think that's why our friend AJ Mass says it's his number one TV show, Rob, he loves of all stuff. time. He loves this. This is his favorite show ever. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there, there is a hard turn in season two into the more David Lynchian mode of are, are what we're seeing real is what we're seeing real. Uh, what are the characters motivations? Can they even remember that? Is this a dream sequence? Is this surreal? And with Lynch, there aren't good, you know, bows tied around that a lot of the time with Lost Highway. He's way out there with Mulholland Drive. He reigns it in. Those two came out very close to each other. And I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. There is some of that in this season, and I think that that can be abrasive to some. So I do get that. I think that that is a big difference between season two and season one. I think season two leaned hard into that. Uh, and for some people, obviously, it pops it off the charts. But for other people, it, it is a lot more inaccessible, I would say, in some ways, especially week to week, where it does become tougher to keep track of everything. And. I was joking around with you guys about this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago where I said that there's a Stargate in the Congo. Yes. I do think that there is going to be a hard sci-fi turn really? coming in all of this very soon. I, I don't think that when we get to the end of Mr. Robot, we talk about that this was the story uh, simply of a person that had a lot of mental issues dealing with the world's biggest hack. I think that there's going to be, whether we get into time travel, uh-huh. whether we get into alternate realities, I feel like that it's some point we are going to there's going to be more than meets the eye in terms of just like on this singular plane dealing with a hack in this world whether i don't know where we're going and i don't know if the congo i mean that they they ended season one on the on on the congo of of uh white white rose asking about the congo and price not wanting to talk about that and it was such so important to white rose there i do think that at some point they were getting some sort of like frozen donkey wheel type reveal on Mr. Robot. The Congo Donkey Wheel. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it seems white... The, the Donkey Wheel Congo. There's, It's like a dance. There is a... Donkey Congo. The Donkey Congo. Donkey <laughs> Congo. It. Yeah, there yeah. it is. Donkey Congo Jr. There, there are... there. Are, it's Donkey Congo country. Like, I it's all over. Diddy Congo, personally. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a lot going on there, for sure. But I don't know... 
I don't know how much of it's going to be hard sci-fi or how much of it's going to be like an interest in that. So White Rose is interested in time, interested in alternative realities, interested in hacking time. That doesn't mean that this plant in Washington Township, if that's where she's been leading these experiments since the mid-90s, has actually made any progress. Part of the part of the deal could be White Rose's mission is absolutely futile and like there is some element the of Borg? that to the it. The Borg are involved? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Futile, yes. yes. Uh, so that could be part of it. Uh, that could very well be it. I don't know. Did you make anything, Rob, about all the Back to the Future references? Well, that's throughout? the not other only, thing yeah, where, right. you know, and, and not just Back to the Future, but Back to the Future too. And I know I've read an interview with Sam Esmail has said that that's his favorite movie of all time. Uh, we saw that in, you know, uh, Angela in season one said like, oh, we, we're going to watch your favorite movie, Back to the Future part two. And then also that we saw that uh, Mr. Robot and Elliot did like a Halloween costume with that and then there was the episode this season with all of the music from back to the future so at some point and i know i said i don't want to ever be again where i'm chasing my own tail but why is all that stuff why are we doing an episode with like four music cues from back to the future other than is it just you know and sam esmail does pay homage to a lot of different a lot things of like pop culture touchstones yeah but this was so odd that you have in one episode so many different Back to the Future uh, music cues. And Back to the Future 2 specifically yeah. is about an alternate reality where time has been changed and, and the timeline has been altered and that we have to go back and change this timeline to prevent this other timeline from happening. Yeah, Esmail gave an interview to Vulture this past week and uh, was asked this question of like, yeah. why was there so much Back to the Future music in this one episode? And basically, aside from loving Back to the Future, said that he knew that he didn't want there to be any sort of um, you know recognizable music in the scene between White Rose and Angela but wanted to sort of frame up around it with music that's referencing time uh, and time being, you know, time travel being such a huge part of Back to the Future 2. So that was sort of something that just started building up sort of naturally that like all of these songs are sort of referencing time, which is such an important thing to White Rose. So at least that's his answer on the question, whether or not you want to buy that, your mileage will vary. And it was too expensive to get time by Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> Darius Rucker is uh, really anti Mr. Robot. Yeah, that, that Vulture interview was good. I thought his Hollywood Reporter one was better, but um, but yeah, you. that was good. Uh, I, I do. The other thing is, I mean, look, alternate reality uh, Hill Valley nineteen eighty five Biff is running for president right now. So that's <laughs> oh, as well. not yet, not yet, <laughs> not if Terry Colby has the thing or two to say about it. Wait, wait that's true. We, the last honest man. Yeah, can we stop down here because this is something that's really important for me to make sure that this is on this podcast. Is that I know that you were bummed that there wasn't a lot of Tyrell Wellick this season, but how about your boy Challenge Beast Terry Colby? Be immunity beast Terry Colby. You are a big fan of Terry Colby. Not enough of him. And like I was saying, that I do really like these cartoonish, you know, maybe one note characters that we do get to see in Mr. Robot. I think it's very fun. I was very pumped up to see Terry Colby return to talk to Price. And I love that once that one scene that he had. He was talking about how, like, can you believe this guy Trump is running for president now? Can you believe this? <laughs> Have you heard of this? Have you heard of this? Terry. Uh, yeah. Of course he's running for president, like, Terry. Can I just ask? One question around here. Uh, so why? 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 I, I, I don't get it. Why? What? Why, why a guy like you? Now, Philip, I want you to open your mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh no! Real please, quiet. no. Yeah. Let's uh, let's take this improv somewhere else, guys. If we're going to get into the mouth of it all. Josh. All right. Sorry. 
<laughs> sorry, go, don't go full bloom. No, sorry, yeah, I went full bloom. Go, went a little full bloom. Full Colby, really. Full like, Colby, yeah. Tilt, truly yeah. full tilt. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I love that you love Terry Colby. That makes that makes me really happy. That was like your first hot take on Mr. Robot that you had sent my way. It's like oh, I love Terry Colby. Not He's enough Terry Colby. Fantastic. Yeah. He's fantastic. So not enough of him in this season. Yeah. Who are some of other than like Angela? Who are some of the characters that you're out on? You don't need to see these people on the show anymore. I mean, I feel like that we've talked a lot about uh, the different people. I mean, I, I like everything with the White Rose. And I feel like that uh, DDP has been a polarizing character, but I've always enjoyed her on the show. And uh, I've also had a hot take of that I think eventually there will be a, a, a love interest for Elliot in DDP. Oh, really? Yes. Can you... E-DDP. Yeah, E-DDP. I like yes. this. We were, we've been on the Darlene and DDP train, so you're team E-DDP. Can you explain? Well, I think that one of the themes uh, in this season has been about how the existential loneliness of DDP and how her only friend is her uh, Amazon Echo. And I feel like that that's been a theme for Elliot. Mr. Amazon Echo. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Amazon Echo. And so I think that's been a theme for Elliot as well. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know if ultimately they're going to end up together, but I do feel like that at the point we have these two characters, which you, obviously the show really wants us to like DDP, that they've shown her in a flattering light the whole way. And she's really been in a lot of ways a protagonist, even though she's working on the other side from Elliot. And obviously, you know, Elliot's our main protagonist. And I think that at some point we're going to end up with them together. And I think that there's going to be, I, I don't mean like, like romantically together yet, but at some point. Elliot and DDP are going to meet and I think that she's going to be completely fascinated by him no yeah no she's going to be very curious of this guy yeah so I mean where is it all going with her if not to ultimately be in some sort of like uh, like you know that have some sort of like uh, if if not a true romance at least the Scully and Mulder of it all uh-huh. got it or like a one night stand type of thing they'll get caught in a net Maybe. Maybe maybe they'll get caught in the net, but I I don't know. I think that there definitely will be some... Uh, sexual tension between Elliot and because I, I don't think uh, Elliot and Angela that's that's not a real romance for you're me. not shipping that no I'm not shipping Elliot and Angela you're it's too weird it's too weird I feel like she's like his sister I know, I know he has literally already kissed his sister in this show but I just feel like that it's too uh, it, it's like incestuous. We had one of our listeners, Rob Caleb Hunt from Atlanta, who yes. emailed in this question probably no more than 15 times throughout the course of this season. Do you see Elliot and Angela as a Jerry and Elaine type couple to tie into your Seinfeld? <laughs> yeah, I could see it. I mean, I'm no Joey badass, but uh, I, I definitely could see that where maybe they used to date and they're sort of friends. You and Akiva have to get Joey badass on the Seinfeld podcast. I did literally tweet to Joey badass a Seinfeld question one time. He did not respond. He did oh, not. Dear. He did not respond uh, to that. Either. But no, I really did like that whole through line of the the Seinfeld stuff with Leon, and then when he was talking about uh, Paul Reiser, Mad About You was a really underrated show. So I mean, I think that's I really do enjoy that Mr. Robot. When there's like there's so much stuff in there, and a lot of it is 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 really interesting and fun. I, I just I wonder if at times like have we have you know we still have so many things that we have never untangled when we add more and more into the stew do we ever have a hope to get to satisfying conclusions on a lot of these different through lines 
Yeah. Let me ask you a TV format question, Rob. Then, what's your opinion on this? If you have a hit show like Mr. Robot, and you have uh, you have season one, and you're about to renew it for season two, at that point, is is any show really that is like this that is told in in a format that isn't a story of the week kind of thing that's going and doing that kind of storytelling? Is it better for that show at that point? Should USA have said to Sam SML last season, like, you're renewed for five seasons and that's it? You know, you've got it and you're done. You know exactly how many episodes you have to make from here on out. Do they, I know they don't do that because the shows can take a hard turn. People can drop out, whatever. But do you think shows are going to be better served by knowing exactly how many episodes they plan to make? I know this is something you and I have talked about on Better Call Saul as well, where I absolutely think that where that was the point where Lost, I think, righted the ship, where they said, okay, well, we're going to get to this point, and then where that's going to be the end of the show, and like, okay, good, now we can start to sort of like map out what the end game is going to look like at the you know halfway through season three. So I always would prefer if that's going to happen. I know that's not really dealing in realities of anything to be able to always do that with a show, but I think that when you know where the finish line is, it. Can really help you sort of like steer where you're going yeah and game of thrones is picking up steam of course as well and, I, and i'm not going to spoil any particular plot points from that show but uh, there was a, something that happened this season josh i know by the end you said if x doesn't happen by the end of this season we're in trouble if it does happen then i'll know we're moving the ball toward the end game and of course it's happening so like those kind of things it's happening. I, it's happening it's happening yeah those kind of things i think matter and i do think when you say I, I, sam esmail said after last season for example that he only had uh, four or five seasons in mind that he had enough story that he, he thought he could do that but the story he wanted to tell he only saw as four or five and us they would often joke like, oh, well, maybe at the end of season seven we can do or at the end of season eight. And he's like, ah, yeah, real funny. You know, I'm not going to make this show for eight seasons. But I do wonder if, you know, as a creator, like, yeah, we only have an endpoint of X time and that's it. Uh, whether you're going to write to that. I mean, Parks and Recreation had to write several series finales because they were never sure if they were going to get renewed or not. And I think as a result, the, that show had a lot more thrust from a narrative standpoint. I do think sometimes shows are are held back by the fact that they don't know how long they have to stretch so you do see the vamping sometimes well let's start wrapping down here um as we are closing out on this podcast antonio do you have any other final questions for rob or rob do you have any other final hot mr robot takes that you have not planted the flag on here go ahead can you guys talk me through ultimately the plot here of that all right so e-corp they have basically paper backups of everything that they did. So they're sent all the paper to one facility in New York. And so it is the idea of the Dark Army that they're going to blow up the building, the the, the, the paper company. That's they're going to get uh, Craig Robinson back in there. Yes. Blow up Dunder Mifflin. Yes. And then take that <laughs> whole thing out. Okay, fine. But why, why did China give $2 trillion to bail out E-Corp if they're going to then blow up E-Corp. Uh, Antonio has a great take on this. So the possibility exists where E-Corp's assets right now are not totally devalued because there are these paper backups, right? Their, their electronic copies were encrypted so that they couldn't be accessed, and that presented an incredible nightmare in the moment to moment. But it didn't completely eradicate the company. And by, by means of saying that, they have all of these paper backups, and that is a big deal. The stuff that was at Steel Mountain were the tapes, the digital backups, the ones and zeros on magnetic or electric or electric 
magnetic tape or whatever. But the paper backups are the actual physical documents. And the problem with that is it will take a very long time to assemble those in a meaningful way so that you can have an idea of how many payments were made, who made them, when, etc. That's why they're putting them all in one facility to do that. Once those are gone, E-Corp has no asset like that anymore because the electronic copy is not accessible. The paper copy is gone. So E-Corp's totally devalued at that point. I think at that point, anyone who has like a, you know, an outstanding $2 trillion loan to E-Corp essentially is able to take over the company. And then imagine if that party who did that was able to suddenly magically decrypt the data. I don't know, possibly through a key that somebody at the end of this season might have been locating. I think that that could be the larger plan. Yeah. So that like speaks to this idea at the end of the season in the post credit scene of Trenton being like, oh, maybe we can put the toothpaste back in the tube with the five nine hack. Maybe we can come Mm -hmm. up with a key. Maybe we can decrypt this data. Antonio Very uh, made a big point of noting that as we were on Robot Road through season one, that they didn't destroy the data. They encrypted the data in a really tough to crack way. But what if we can crack it? And here comes Leon to keep track of these two. Here comes a Dark Army operative to keep track of these two and to see if that is something possible. And now maybe the Dark Army can swoop in and quote unquote save the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we saw with Cisco, if the Dark Army wants somebody dead, they're dead. And they're yeah, so dead. Why isn't Leon just stabbing them in the butts immediately? Right. Yeah. Why isn't he being Joey badass? Like, why isn't that yeah. happening? So, okay. uh, he could be doing that if he wanted to. Now, that's interesting. And I do think that at some point we're going to get where Elliot has to work with, you know, the team up with going back to this romance with DDP. If, you know, we can get the Aldersons teaming up with Agent Dom and the FBI to take on the Dark Army. I feel like that at least now we're getting back into, you know, fighting fire with fire and trying to, you know, hack Ultimately, I guess White Rose, who is the ultimate villain of the series. Yeah, I think that's the th- I think that's the third act of the show. That that seems most likely to me is that somewhere in the end of the second act of the show, uh, Elliot has reason to completely be oppositional to White Rose. He learns something or some fact is revealed, and then he decides to become a white hat. He's always existed in the area a white of gray, rose hat, right? Yes. A white rose hat, right? Uh, but he's always done these gray area things. But if you put him in a white hat by the end of the series, there's something that you could really play with there. And I mean that ties into the fact that White Rose has been doing whatever White Rose was doing at that plant in New Jersey since before the accident that caused harm to Elliot's family because that's when White Rose pees on the grave of the former E-Corp CEO. She mentions that he tried to stop her plant or factory in the mid-90s because of an incident and that's clearly the leak and so something... yeah. Yeah, it's very much the leak. There's directly a leak that goes on there, yeah. So I don't know. I do think that that ties into the potential that whatever caused Elliot to be so upset to begin with whatever caused him to lose his father and have that feeling of isolation from birth or from the moment of that creation that was probably caused by white rose and if so you can imagine if elliot finding that out could make elliot very much oppositional to white rose and we could see that play out in the third act of this uh of this show um all right one one more question that i've got for you rob just in sort of like the macro view of mr robot like the show starts out like the premise of the show initially is this guy coming along to elliot and being like what if we can change the world what if we can do this revolution what if we can take down this horrible company Mm -hmm. we can change the face of everything it's a fairly optimistic idea like it's can can this be a world free of debt can everybody be on an even heel can we kill the one percent can everybody just be the same percent um and we see that plan go into effect 
left at the end of season one. The five nine hack goes through, and season two we're living in the aftermath of that. And it is not it is not you know the fairy tale ending that anybody wanted. It's a much darker thing. You know, it's like classic grim fairy tales. You know, it's really really bleak. What do you think the show is going to be ultimately? You know, this was a very, very dark season of Mr. Robot, much darker than the first season, which already was pretty dark. Is this ultimately going to end on an up note or a down note, do you think? Well, I think that it ends with the all of humanity coming to a realization that the only way that we're going to be able to get on the same footing and to eliminate... Uh, this this horrible debt that's crippling is through personal responsibility, Josh. It's, it's, a, it's a great Aesop's fable where everybody is like, wow, I shouldn't buy things I can't afford. I shouldn't run up debt. I need to just pay off the bills that I have and you just t- knock them out one at a time. And then the man won't be keeping us down anymore. We'll all have personal freedom to be able to do whatever we want. And then the obligatory final question is, uh, who on Mr. Robot would be the best at Survivor? Oh, boy. Uh, best at Survivor. Terry Colby is obviously winning all the challenges, but no <laughs> no social game. Yeah. In terms of the, I mean, uh, so many people that would be, like, voted out first. Well, well let's go with terrible. that. So who are, like, the, who are the, like, the very easy first boots? Price. <laughs> really? Darlene, yeah. Darlene. Darlene. Yeah. Well... <laughs> that Angela also Price just because he's old. Yeah, he's old, and also he's, he's just like, like Jim Lynch's. Yeah, yeah. I'm and the it, master of this universe. Yeah, <laughs> I, probably the better comparison I think for Price is that uh, probably more of a genius that he's Gura. I think so. <laughs> he's just like, oh, yeah, listen to yeah. me, Sangmin. Like, trust me, Sangmin. Yeah. So I think that that's probably a better thing for Price. And nobody ever's gonna be like, I hey, just get rid of this guy. Nobody work with Price. Just right. freeze him out. Right. Uh, that. One of the funnier things that uh, Spencer Gilbert said on the uh, Mr. Robot show that we do for Screen Junkies is that Angela, how how is she able to even function in life that anytime you ask her a question, she does a hard countdown from 10 before she answers? Like, <laughs> could you imagine like her at Tribal Council where it's like, all right, all right Angela, who are you working with? Yeah, yeah. No one. <laughs> like, it's like, she'd really be terrible on the spot in anything like that. I mean, Elliot's so caught up in his own head yeah. all of the time. But if Mr. Robot is running Elliot, that's an Elliot that can win the game potentially. potentially. Or at least he's like a fi- he gets the final tribal council. I don't know how he wins the vote. Potentially. I, I think of all of the people, I think that probably DDP, I think, would be my pick to ultimately be the winner. Uh-huh. How about Joanna Wellick? <laughs> oh, boy. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, she's going to Queen Parvati her way to the top. Yes, I think that she certainly could. I, I mean, that she is a very fun character to have on, on the screen, but I, I don't know. Uh, I, I really, I like, uh, I laughed out loud when she showed up at Scott Knowles' house with it. She's like, uh, boy, uh, this latest gift that yeah, you Yeah, made me want to take a shower. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> good like, wow. Judge. Yeah, yeah made me want to go into the pool. It's like a cyclone, yeah. right. Yes. So... Uh, that she's very be very fun she would definitely get cast all right good stuff antonio anything else from you here no cyclone isn't that the uh isn't that the villain from battlestar galactica rob <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it is That's right. i heard that yeah. i heard someone i heard someone say that this week oh my yeah. god who's the fifth cyclone uh all right let's wrap up here hashtag time i think donkey congo is that's really a good fun. one that's that, a good yeah. one that was good I think, solid i think that's easy hashtag donkey congo rob's on twitter at rob sesternino antonio's at ac mazzaro i'm at round howard subscribe to our mr robot podcast we got plenty more coming up in the postseason here as we are really doing some reflections on this 
this past season of Mr. Robot. Postshowrecaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes. Rob, this was very fun. Thanks for nerding out with us. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, doing a deep dive. Very fun to get into uh, season two. And again, I'm not out on the show or anything like that. I just had some... I I didn't love season two as much as season one. I hope that maybe, in my mind, uh, maybe just a sophomore slump for the show and maybe they get back on into more of the things that I liked in season three. What does that look like for season three for you, given what has already transpired, given what has happened, where we are now? I think that it's a little less of Elliot dealing with Mr. Robot. I felt like that it was a little frustrating in the first four hours of the show of sort of like, okay, I need to get rid of Mr. Robot, where I feel like that when him and Mr. Robot are working together on a plan, I I do like that more, where they're on the same page, and it's less of the internal struggle and more of the external struggle of dealing with all of these real-world consequences that they put into play, and less of like, wait, do I remember that? Is that what's really happening? I would like to sort of just like be moving and uh, not have as much hesitation in terms of trying to figure out what is real and actually dealing with what is real. All right, fair enough. Let's see if that is a direction that we go in in season three. More Mr. Robot podcasts coming up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. Bonsoir.